Our reading this morning is taken from the book of Ephesians in chapter 1, and that would be on page uh, 976 in the Black Bibles, which are found over in the bookcase over by the door, should you need one. So again, that's Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. My name is Ryan Phelps. I am the lead pastor here at Grace Point, and we've been in a series on the book of Ephesians, and we are finishing Paul's long sentence, actually verses 3 through 14, maybe even 1 through 14, it's possible, was an entire sentence. Paul, he did not like periods that much. He liked the good comma. And so we're at the end of that. He's kind of wrapping it up. This amazing thing. It is theology set to music. And so let us finish that, but let us go pray first. God, thank you for your abundant mercies in Jesus. We are here because you are here. We are here because you have been planning this from before the foundations of the world, that we would believe on you, that we would trust you, but also that we would be reminded of this that we be reminded of all of the blessings that we have in you, the foundations on which we stand. So remind us again this morning, O God. God, for those who are suffering and struggling this morning, remind them. For those of we who are doubting or struggling with our faith, bring us assurance. And God, for those who do not trust you, who, who are just here visiting, God, give them faith this morning. May they have an encounter with you that is so unmistakable that they would give their lives to you. We ask all of this humbly. All of this humbly. We are nothing apart from you. Now would you give us yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I was 20, I had my own crisis of faith. I was living on my own for the first time, and I was struggling a little bit. I was not as mature as I thought that I was, and I was struggling with the normal things that most 20-year-olds do. But it was, it was, it was, a, it was a time where I, I was questioning my faith. Do I really believe what I think that I do? And this was coming in part because I was also struggling intellectually. I was being challenged like I never had before, I was having to defend these beliefs and philosophy classes and to skeptical friends. Mainly, though, I was spiritually terrified. And I mean that, terrified. And it was because of this stupid movie. This movie. One night I'm by myself. I love science fiction. And so someone had told me about it. And I like sci-fi. It has to do with outer space. And so I pop it in thinking this is going to be great. And I'm not going to tell you the movie because it's so bad. But it turned out to be a horror movie. It was not science fiction. It was science fiction-y. But it was really a horror film. And I was not prepared 
for the things that I saw, just being honest, because it depicted hell. And there were things that I wish that I could unsee today. And yet, for some reason, right then, right there, God let me see it. He let me pop that video in. It was probably a VHS cassette. And have a crisis of faith. And I did not go back to sleep that night. And not because I was terrified, but because I was reading. Because I was studying. I grabbed everything that I could and I said, is this real? Is this true? God, are you really there? Is Jesus Christ your one and only son? And I've got to trust him. And mainly, have I done enough? Have I done enough to secure my place next to him in heaven? And so I stayed up all night searching for an answer to the question, am I secure? Am I really saved? Now, everyone goes through this. Everyone goes through this to varying degrees at different times in their lives, sometimes multiple times in their lives. And it's because we struggle. We're, we're human. We're imperfect. We sin. We fail. We doubt. We doubt Jesus. We wonder if he's even real. We wonder if he's there and if we are truly covered by his love and his blood. Don't I have to do a little bit more to be saved, we say. And it freaks us out. Are we secure? Are you secure? Are you saved? Now, I think Paul knows this. Paul does not start out Ephesians because he thinks this is the best way to flow an argument. He holds off. He holds off on telling people how to live because he knows that they need something, some ground to be able to do it at all. He knows that this is a people who are suffering, who are struggling with faith, with doubt. And so he tells them again, here is what is true. Here is this. Here is this truth. And it is meant to reassure you so that you can live out your life to the greatest degree for his glory and for your peace. So I just want to spend a few minutes just looking at these last verses in this first section and ask the question, are we good? Are we secure? Three points this morning. One, we are secure because we are gods. We are secure because we are gods. Two, we are secure because we believe in Him. And three, we are secure because the Spirit guarantees it. The Spirit guarantees it. One, we are secure because we are God's. Let's jump right into it. Ephesians 1.11. Hopefully you have a Bible out with you. Ephesians 1.11. It says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of of his will. That's a, that is a dense sentence there, isn't it? In him we have obtained an inheritance, but we're going to start there. In him we have ob- obtained an inheritance. Now the question that scholars have to ask at this point, Greek scholars, because this is an English translation, right? When they're looking at the Greek, they have to go, okay, is the inheritance ours 
Or is it God's? Now, I know that the ESV says that it is ours. That's what it's saying. But understand that when the translators are translating, they've got this word. Just one word, and they've got to go, oh, we don't know which way it goes. Is the inheritance ours, or is it God's? And now, I studied all week, and I could be wrong, so take that. But most scholars actually come down on the side of a different translation. It should probably read this way. In him, we were also made a heritage. In him, we were also made a heritage. So what's the difference? This translation, this reading, makes the inheritance not ours, but God's. God's purpose, his goal, is that he would receive an inheritance, a heritage. And what is that? It is his people. His people, his inheritance, his heritage is the people whom he purchased, redeemed, and saved with the blood of Christ. And this is God's plan from the very beginning. And you see this with the people of Israel. So Moses is singing the song in Deuteronomy 32, and he's singing about the nations of the earth. And God has got them all at some level. And so Moses is talking about, about, he's singing about these nations and they're being overseen at some level by the sons of God. And we think those were the angelic beings, the nations distributed out to the angels, to the angelic beings of the universe. But then he waits, he holds off on Israel. Would Israel be put out with one of these angelic beings? No, Israel was set aside for God. For the Lord's portion is his people, God says. Jacob, his allotted heritage. That was Israel. That was the plan. And it, was, it had begun thousands of years ago. But now is now. This is now. Now in Christ, we are all his heritage, his portion. In Christ, we are covered by his righteousness. We are God's share, God's delight. And so what Paul is talking about is God's heart and his will for you. His heart overflows with love for his people and his sovereign will cannot, will not be denied. We, are, as a people, are made secure by the love and the will of God. I think that we feel this a little bit when we are parents. I think we understand this. If you're a parent, it is hard to see your children struggle. It is heartbreaking when they come to you and they tell you that they were made fun of or someone even hurt them. And you can hear the sorrow in their speech. You can see it in their face. It's not just another tantrum. They are suffering. And I'll tell you what, I want to deny it at first. It is so hard to see that, that I want to say, you know what, you just need to suck it up. It's not that bad. And then it turns into, you want to go get whoever did that to him. And then maybe if the Spirit is working on your heart, you realize that what they need most at that moment is an affirmation of your love. And so you get close to them. Forehead to forehead. And you speak, you whisper, you are mine. You cannot lose my love and I will always protect you. Now, 
God says that to us perfectly. He says it to us out of his sovereign will that will not be denied. When we are doubting, when we are hurting, when we are apathetic, when we are suffering, he leans into us and he says, you are mine. My love for you cannot and will not be thwarted. And we know this because of that word there. There's a word there. It's a big theological word. We hit it a couple weeks ago and it's the word predestined. Remember that word? Predestined. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him. And all this means is that God planned this salvation from the beginning. It was planned. Yes, we actively took part in this. We believed. But apart from his predestining work, no one ever would have had a chance to trust him in the first place. The move of God to save us happened before the foundations of the world. And I would say that we can measure our, we can measure the strength of our security By the length of time, God has been planning this out for you. His love, his will, will not fail. In your doubt, in your fear, even in your sin, God is pursuing you. He will not falter. He will not fail. He has been pursuing us despite our sin for generation after generation after generation. And we can rest assured he's not going to quit anytime soon. For we are his inheritance. We are his portion, his delight. C.S. Lewis said once that our feelings, they come and go. Our feelings come and go, but his love for us does not. Do you believe that this morning? Point two, we are secure because we believe in him. We are secure because we believe in him. Verse 11 again, we're going to keep on going. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now verse 12. So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And I want to bring in verse 13 also. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So just a thing to note right at the beginning. It's most likely that Paul is talking about two different sets of people here. So verse 12, he's talking about himself and his fellow Jews who have believed. We were the first to hope in Jesus Christ. Now this is important. I think it's actually very important because it shows that God's promise is coming about. That Jews are coming to saving faith. That's why he's telling them. God is not going to be thwarted in the salvation. And we can know because his promise that he would bring the Jews in, many Jewish people in, is true. And it's true because Paul is the main guy. The apostles were all Jewish. They are coming to faith in Christ. God's purposes, his promises are coming to bear. And that's the first thing. But then in verse 13, what I think would have brought tears to the Gentiles' eyes, to anyone who was not Jewish, is that salvation was not just for them. That the presence of God, that relationship with God was not just for the Jews. It was for the Gentiles also. Verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. They are part of the community of God now. They are part of his fold. 
His love knows no limits. And this should bring us great security, great security, great hope. Why? Just two reasons. First, you have the truth. You have the truth. We don't think about this very often. It says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. I think that it should be utterly amazing to us that we have this truth at all. The truth, what is the truth? It is the gospel itself. It is the good news. The good news that God did not leave us when we sinned against Him, but He pursued us. Every other religion says that you must earn your way to get to God. You must find Him. Only in Christianity does it say that God came down into the darkness to find us. He lived as one of us. And then he died in our stead as our substitute. The gospel is Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for us. And that is a truth we should not have, but we do. It is amazing. This is the greatest proof of God's love for us. Just the fact that we've got it, that we have heard it. No matter our circumstances, no matter how bad our, our life gets, we know that God has not left us. Listen, suffering comes, and we did not know why always it happens. We don't always know why. But we know the answer, at the very least, is that God cares. He doesn't not care. We have the truth. Second, the truth is that salvation is not in you. It is in Him. In Him. That is Paul's point, isn't it? The foundation of your faith is that you believed in him. You heard the truth. You admitted that you are a sinner in need of a savior. You acknowledge that the gospel is the only thing that will bring you to saving faith. You realize your need and that you, and that you realize that only Christ could forgive you of your sins and save you. And so you look at him and your heart And you put your trust in him. You believe in him. And this is securing because it is all about him. It is not about us. That is the huge change in this world. That we could not save ourselves. That we needed someone else that we could believe on. Someone else's work that we could believe in. Verse 12 says that Paul and some of the early Jews, they hoped in Christ. It does not say they hoped in themselves, does it? It doesn't say that they hoped in their hope. I'm trusting my hope to keep me afloat. I'm trusting the strength of my faith to save me. If that's what you think faith is, then you've got it backwards. Faith is letting go. Faith is saying, I don't got it. But you do. You do. And so this means also that we are not saved by the strength of our faith. We are saved by his strength and his strength alone. And listen, you know this. Our faith is not perfect. We have doubts. Our repentance is never 100%. The fact that the apostles have to keep on coming back to this and back to this and back to this means that the people kept on failing and forgetting We doubt, we struggle, we sin, we are weak. If the gospel is, you must have perfect faith to be saved, then we will never be saved. But the good news is that it is our feebleness in faith that saves us because Jesus is our strong Savior. 
God, I do not know much, we say. I don't understand it all, but I know that I cannot do this on my own and your son's work is so clear to me. May I believe in him. This comes up when Jesus is out with the people and a man comes up to him desperately. His son is dying from constant convulsions. Then he says to Jesus, if you can heal him, and what does Jesus' response? If I can heal him, all things are possible for one who believes. And the man replies in this wonderfully contradictory and human way, I believe. Help my unbelief. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't say that's not good enough. He blesses him. Saves his son. The feebleness of his faith and belief was enough because the truth of the gospel, the strength of Jesus the Savior, is enough. Tim Keller writes Through Jesus, we do not need perfect righteousness, just repentant helplessness to access the present presence of God. Do you have that? Do you have repentant helplessness? We are secure because we have believed the truth and the truth is in the strong name of Jesus. No matter how shabby your belief, no matter how weak your hope, if there is even a flicker of faith, if you truly believe in Christ and in him alone, then there is a savior giving you everything you need. We are secure because we believe in him. Last point, we are secure because the spirit guarantees it. We are secure because the spirit guarantees it. Look at Ephesians 1.13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now be careful when you're reading this verse. It can be easy to miss this. When we believe, we are sealed not with the promise of the Holy Spirit. We are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The object is not the promise. The object is the Holy Spirit himself. And so when we believe on him, what happens? The Spirit comes to us. The Spirit comes to us forever. Francis Chan has said that the Holy Spirit is the forgotten God, and this is tragic. Why? Because the Holy Spirit could be no closer to us. When we believe, when we say with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, when we say with our hearts that he is the King of all kings, And the Spirit descends upon us. He joins with us. He dwells with us. And so your security is not simply that God will someday save you. Your security is in the fact that you have Him now. And He is doing something amazing. He is doing something amazing. The Spirit is guaranteeing our inheritance. Did you see that there? Verse 14. He is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, this is our inheritance. This is ours. What God has promised in Christ is guaranteed by this forgotten God. No matter what happens to us, no matter the tragedies, no matter the losses, there is nothing compared to the riches we will receive in Christ when we finally acquire possession of Him and all of His goodness. Now, I admit that this is actually kind of hard to get. When we ever talk about the inheritance of God to us, it's actually 
kind of hard to understand. Okay, we have an inheritance, but that is not a category we really understand, especially in spiritual terms. It's kind of like we are a a child, like an eight-year-old boy, who breaks his favorite toy, right? He breaks his favorite toy, and he runs up to his mom, and the mom happens to be just getting off the phone right then, and he screams at his mom, Mommy, my toy is destroyed. There is no fixing it. I am ruined. My life is over. My child said that to me this week. And then the parent looks at the child and said, it's okay. Don't worry about it. That that may be true. Your, Your toy may be lost, but I just got off the phone with a distant relative of yours and they left you $100 million. How does the child respond? Who cares about that? My toy is destroyed. A child has no way of fathoming a hundred million dollars. Something that he will get at the end of his life. And I think that we are very similar. We are children who stress and despair over temporal loss. And yet God, by the Spirit, is reminding us that this inheritance is coming. It is guaranteed. He wants us to hope in what is to come. Paul says in Ephesians 3, he's praying and he says that he, he prays that the people would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And I pray that for you too. I pray that for me too. I think the entrance to this though is that we have part of this inheritance now. We have part of this inheritance now. We must see and acknowledge that God is blessing us today. Paul says that the spirit of our lives in our lives is the guarantee of our salvation. And the guarantee means that the spirit has made a sort of deposit in our behalf, on our behalf. It's a first payment, initial installment, a down payment. And that means when you do that, right? When you put a down payment on a house, you've got access to it immediately. At some level, we are experiencing the grace and mercy and blessings of God now. He is slowly, sometimes really slowly, showing us Jesus. He is filling us with Jesus now. He is satisfying our hearts with Jesus now. Friends, do you believe that? Do you believe that you have this good deposit already? I say look for the evidence in your life. Everyone look, take stock. How has he blessed you? How has he provided for you? And rejoice. And rejoice. Now one of the main ways that we as a people take this inheritance now is by participating in the ordinances. That's what we call them. We could also call them our sacraments. The first one is communion. Communion. Every month we come together, we come at the front of this place as an, as an act, a congregational act, to be reminded of the good news. To be reminded that God has not forgotten us. That He has saved us. That even in our feebleness and our frailty, we can eat and drink and be nourished. Spiritually fulfilled. That's communion. The other one is baptism. Baptism. This is a blessing for us. This is a gift for us. Baptism, if you don't know, it is the outward symbol 
that displays an inward reality. And this inward reality is not just a feeling, it is a spiritual change. A monumental spiritual change as a person by faith, as they are plunged into the water, it signifies their death in Jesus Christ. As they die with him, their sinful natures are taken away. But as they come up out of the water, it signifies that they are raised with Christ. His life is theirs. His justification and sanctification is theirs. They are truly new creations in him. This is how our statement of faith reads. It says that we believe that baptism by water is the public confession of Christ as Savior and Lord. It is a symbol of one's union by faith with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And it is our great delight. It is truly our blessing to see five people, five men and women, display their great love of Jesus this morning. They are experiencing, in a sense, the first fruits of salvation. We who are bearing witness are reminded of the blessings that we too have in God. And so I pray this morning that as you see them plunged into the water and brought back up, that you too would feel and remember the securing love of God for you. Be reminded of all that you have in Jesus.